Hello, everyone. Welcome to There Will Be Movie Review, starring Ryan Holmes and uh, my very, very special guest, Chris Holmes, also my father. So, uh, Dad, Chris, can introduce yourself to the audience. Oh, thank you, Ryan. Nice introduction. I'm glad <laughs> to be here. Looking forward to reviewing this movie. All right. Awesome. So the first movie or the movie that we will be reviewing today is uh, one of my personal favorites. I love this movie. I watched it uh, a couple years ago for the first time and I was just uh, I thought it was just incredible. And it was it really got me into film. Um, and this movie is Seven, directed by David Fincher and starring Brad Pitt, uh, Morgan Freeman, Kevin Spacey and Gwyneth Paltrow. This is the second uh uh, directed movie by David Fincher and it is written by not really a popular uh, writer but Andrew Kevin Walker this is one of his uh, first films he ever wrote and uh, this film came in at number seven at the box office in 1995 with uh, over 100 million dollars so it's a pretty good uh, second directorial uh, film for David Fincher and it turned out to be a really really big success and it's been a uh, very very popular film uh, to this day very very popular and this film was only nominated for one oscar sadly so i mean i think um this film definitely should have been nominated for at least best picture because it is just great like what do you think oh uh, definitely yeah no there's the yeah, it's hard to find any flaws with it like i was going through my notes and you know i just watched it recently to to prepare for this podcast and uh yeah no it's it's difficult to find any flaws with it truthfully it, yeah that's that's really true because the fact you know films these days are tend to be the ones that are so recognized and uh are nominated for you know best picture and best director are the films that are uh, period pieces or romance and you know any new musical that comes out tends to be nominated and you know films like these like seven tend to be ignored uh for that matter and you know there's people that can argue with this film that it's very very it's too dark and uh, it's pretty terrifying and um disturbing but you know there's everything you know the plot acting directing make up for that and make it seem so true and just a great film but um yeah, yeah. so i can yeah go ahead oh yeah no i was just gonna say it's not your typical like detective or serial killer movie it just you know it it, it does well to stand over and above the you know the traditional uh, type uh, cop movies for sure yeah a hundred percent um, so we can start off. I'm just going to talk about the plot. So what this film really is about for those listeners who maybe haven't seen the movie yet or who have and just want a little refresh. So this is a film about two homicide detectives, uh, Morgan Freeman and Brad Pitt, desperate for a hunt of a serial killer who justifies his crime as absolution for the world's ignorance of the seven deadly sins. So pretty crazy so far. And this movie uh, takes us from the tortured remains of one victim to the next as the psychopathic John Doe, played by the great uh, Kevin Spacey, not too um, appreciated nowadays, but back then he was a, one of the very respected actor. Uh, um, yeah, he can act. He's just a douche. <laughs> yeah, he is. He's a, you know, he's a terrible guy, but he, he is a great actor. Um, the, the one, this is one of his, uh, actually like 
most popular roles pretty much or yeah it is one of his most uh popular roles but this kind of this broke him into um you know hollywood and this really helped him uh because yeah he after that he did the usual suspects um american beauty and he both won uh best actor for those two movies which you know obviously this film really helped with that oh i didn't know that that's a great choice then Yeah. yeah yeah um so but yeah we can start off with the very beginning of the film is when we're introduced to uh morgan freeman freeman's character detective somerset so uh dad i don't know if you want to talk about morgan uh freeman's character detective somerset just a little what what is his character what's he what's uh what's he like in this film yeah, well, I like it right from the opening. I think he, uh, he he comes in in the opening scenes and he's very, uh, you can see that he's very neat. He's organized. Um, yep. You can tell that he's methodical and thoughtful uh, right away. And then you get that early contrast against uh, Brad Pitt where he's more of an impetuous and, and just quick to react and uh, uh, very judgmental. Um, so you see the difference between the two characters very early on. Yeah, you do. You do. Um, yeah, right from the start, I think he, Morgan Freeman, uh, looks down to Brad Pitt as you know too young, a little aggressive, um, and you know not prof- unprofessional. Um, just I think, but that's just a judgmental thing from Morgan Freeman's character. Uh, and so that first scene there is. Um, they're finally meeting and that's where they're in the rain talking to each other and about uh just like who they are who their characters both are and in that scene though it's raining um quite a bit so a fun fact for this is um it wasn't actually supposed to rain and so it just started pouring on the set like there and so they decided Mm that what they were going to do was just have it rain for the rest of the movie until the final scene where it's obviously they're in the sun um, in the very final scene. But every other scene where they're outside, it's always raining. And so they just decided to, you know, add that rain in. And that's because it also gave off that super dark effect. And I don't know if you want to build on that um, idea. No, but... yeah, yeah, no, I was going to kind of say the same thing. But yeah, it's definitely got that theme with the rain in it, even like uh, later on in the movie with the uh, the, the chase scene um, between Brad Pitt and Kevin Spacey. Yeah. But um, do you know what uh, city it's supposed to be set in or, or it's modeled after? It's actually, I well, what I thought was maybe... Um, chicago but you know because it does rain a lot there i know and but the thing is it doesn't actually say that's one of the things uh david fincher mentioned it doesn't he doesn't um have like a specific city that it's set in you know in the the scenes like um at the dinner table where morgan freeman gwyneth paltrow and uh, brad pitt are talking they talk about it as the city not as the name of the city Right. Yeah, it almost seems like a a New York vibe, like for most of it. And then towards the end of it, it's got like that California feel when they're they're driving out into uh, under the power lines. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, Another thing I want to talk about is so after that first scene where they're introducing each other, um, they have David Fincher has this. uh, He tends to do this with a lot of his films. Um, He did it with the girl in the dragon tattoo. the girl with the dragon tattoo. Um, I'm trying to think of the other one. He, a Gone Girl. He did it in. 
And but he does these great intros and what sets you really into the movie and into the theme and mood of the film. And that is he does these great uh, just yeah intros um, of the uh, with the title scrolls of the characters. And um, I don't know if you want to build on that because like the, oh that's yeah a, a really like important. The... Yeah, he's got like some sort of um, remix of uh, uh, "Closer" by Nine Inch Nails to yeah. to start the film off, and it's yeah, it's really cool because like um, yeah, the the song itself sounds familiar to begin with, and then you yeah. get that "Closer to God." Uh, that's basically the only lyric that uh, in that uh, title sequence there. Yeah, yeah, and I think yeah, because the title sequence it has like those clips of um john doe kevin spacey's character like um cutting off his fingernails and it has all these like pictures in this it's like a montage of all these pictures of uh the like of people's bodies and it's really disturbing and it, it gets you into that you know um disturbed feeling right from the beginning of the film and that's what i i, I love that like when i first watched that i loved that idea because i've never really seen something like that in a film before that type of intro and i thought it was really really neat right um, and and yeah. yeah like after you watch the movie that you can watch that title sequence again and like some of the some of the things that you would never have picked up on the first time going through the movie you can see like where they tie into the rest of the movie with you right with the you know him uh, cutting off his fingertips you know so yeah. that there's no fingerprints and yeah the the writing on the books and that sort of thing so yeah that's very uh that's a very cool opening sequence and uh, yeah, it makes you, uh, it makes it um, very watchable over and over again. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so if you, we can start talking about the first deadly sin that is shown. And I think this is one of the worst ones of the entire film. I mean, there's some pretty bad ones. Oh, we can and, debate that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But um, the first one is gluttony. And they, they, at the beginning, they don't know that it's, um, obviously they don't know that it has to do with the seven deadly sins and they, but they're seeing, they enter the room and they see this just huge overweight man. And that was, when I first saw that, it's, it's terrifying. It's just so evil and, uh, sinister. Yeah. But, uh, Yeah. And then, yeah, and then another thing about that scene, too, is, is like, again, it just builds on that contrast between the two characters where uh, uh, I think Mills comes in, Brad Pitt's character comes in, and he says, uh, well, this is basically open and shut, and, and uh, thinking that the guy had just overeaten and had some sort of coronary or something like that. Yeah. And then Morgan Freeman, uh, you know, kneeling down, looks up to him, points the flashlight in his eyes, and then at the at his feet which are bound and so you instantly know that he's been yeah. uh, murdered and some crazy murder and that uh uh again mills is the uh, rush to judgment um early on so it, yeah. it's kind of a neat uh, a neat way of uh contrasting those characters it is yeah because still right at this moment they're they do not really they don't really like each other it's not like a hate but it is they they argue with each other and they are and but that it builds on that throughout the next few scenes and but again with this gluttony it's just it's terrifying and with the whole idea of somebody you know feeding forcing to somebody to uh eat these um to eat spaghetti sauce it's 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 um it's disturbing 
and yeah. late and later they do uh find when they're in um the room where they they're um taking the body apart and they realize that they discovered that he was being forced to eat these um eat eat it so it's obviously it's a murder um what was it cans of food or something like that yeah Some it was can of, like, cans of spaghetti he was just yeah. constantly eating that but um yeah i don't know if you want to talk about that is just uh, if you want to no, yeah, yeah and, and, no. I think you're you're bang on there. It's uh, yeah, it's very yeah, interesting and, and kind of gross. And then I, I guess at that point too, it's where uh, Somerset's given that uh, pill bottle that's filled with the plastic pieces that uh, lead him to discover that uh, it's uh, it's one of the deadly sins. After he pulls back the refrigerator, after yeah. finding the the missing plastic pieces from the floor, yeah, the refriger refrigerator's scraped. I guess the pieces off. And yeah, yeah. And, and at this point, there Somerset and um, Mills are—they decided to part ways. They talk to the police captain about how they want to be transferred out with uh, Mills because he doesn't think he's ready for this uh, task. And obviously, that shows you know um, Morgan Freeman's character that you, you know he believes that he isn't ready and which is obviously wrong and that's where morgan freeman's character looks uh wrong in this situation because he obviously is ready but he still does have trouble because brad pitt um detective mills is a very he is very aggressive and um quick to judge with his a, a you know um yeah. whereas morgan freeman's a lot more calm and right uh, you know takes the time and he, he asks very very different questions and and um and he, he's really he gets like obsessed almost with this um yeah and yeah. the in the coroner's room you can see brad pitt's getting frustrated with the answers the coroner's giving because he's not able to give him like definitive uh make a definitive statement on anything they're still sort of investigating yeah. and that's frustrating him whereas Somerset or uh, Morgan Freeman is, yeah, you're right. He's more cool and collected. And then another thing about that, like when they split off is um, the Arlie Emery character, who's another great actor, um, uh, he, yeah. uh, who is the um, the police chief there. Uh, and uh, of course, from Full Metal Jacket. But yeah. he just does a fantastic job too. And he's like a very dismissive of, uh, of Brad Pitt's character, Mills. And uh, very respectful of Morgan Freeman's. And so you get that too, like how, uh, you know, Brad Pitt isn't taken as seriously and and shouldn't be either, uh, you know, throughout the course of the movie. He doesn't uh, exhibit any sort of characteristics that would make you think that he's like uh, in any way a better detective than, uh, than Somerset. Yeah, exactly. And um, I think the next deadly sin was... Um... Greed is definitely the second deadly sin that happens. Um, and then uh, you can tell uh, at that point, Mills and Somerset are, are um, separated from each other and investigating the murder separately. And Greed is written on the floor in the lawyer's office next to, and then yeah, sort of the camera pans out and you can see Greed written on the floor, Somerset, or, uh, Mills in between that and then another pool of blood where the victim had been. And uh, yeah. yeah, so that's your sort of introduction, I guess, to the second deadly sin. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And so that's when that's when only uh, Mills is on the case at this point because him and Somerset have parted ways. It, but it, you know, this case actually brings them together. And 
Um, that's something interesting is that, you know, this whole entire, the, yeah, this entire case is what brings them together to become such a great uh, duo to discover these sins and to work on this case. And as it, at the beginning, it's what it drives them out uh, from each other, but uh, discovering these things, the, these sins and the, these um, deaths and murders is what uh, kind of brings, it brings their character together. These, and that yeah you're right and then that uh um you know and then tracy at this point so gwyneth paltrow's character or, or mills's uh, brad pitt's wife he act she actually sort of facilitates the two of them working together and it's a, like yeah. a humorous uh way uh like the phone conversation that she has with him and then uh and then the two of them or the three of them meeting together in the apartment for another like sort of uh, it, it sort of uh, relieves a lot of the tension between the two characters. And yeah, you're right. It, it helps them to start uh, working together from that point forward. Yeah. In uh, a more yeah. Co cooperative way. Yeah. Yeah. I want to talk about um, that scene though, where they are having dinner. And I think that is one, because throughout this entire movie is so dark and disturbing. Mm -hmm. And with that, this scene, it really helps, um, you know, you know, bring you back to the real world in a way and you know it's very realistic at the time brad pitt and uh gwyneth Paltrow were dating so you know that um chemistry between them is really there and you know that's what helps uh helps you get out of that darkness of the film and it's kind of a happy scene you know when they're talking about the where morgan freeman's like dying laughing at the that at the train because uh yeah i so guess loud. they're yeah they moved in right next to a subway and they're they're the real yeah, subway agent yeah. didn't let them know I, <laughs> yeah let and, them know about it yeah. you know in reality it's just it's really funny and it, what happened even though it's annoying but it, that scene where they're able to just laugh and uh you know have a break yeah, and it fits in well with Brad Pitt's character again, where he's obviously made some sort of impetuous decision and, and uh, yeah. <laughs> rented an apartment. Yeah, another interesting thing about that, and it's one of the things that I almost didn't get about, or, you know, was, uh, I don't know, I thought was almost like a flaw in the movie was the fact that he had those two giant dogs in that small apartment. Which, uh, <laughs> I think there uh, were three, actually. Make sense. Oh, was it three dogs? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah so all the dogs that were in the apartment. Yeah, I, I'm like, how are they possibly taking care of those dogs in that situation? But anyway, well, yeah. uh, people do do it. So, I well, guess yeah, it's not that too far fetched. I mean, there, yeah, but there's there. The thing is, there's three of them, and he says, uh, "How how have the kids been?" The I kids, mean, that's right. Yeah, and so you think that he actually they have children or something, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, obviously they are not. They're just some dogs. But <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, that scene really helps uh, bring in a little bit of light in the film because it is very very dark and disturbing hmm. um you can start with the next deadly sin which is um was with it was sloth wasn't it oh, i think it's something no sloth is i think the one after that um and no not envy it no. was pride no not pride No, I think oh. it was Sloth. Sloth is the one uh, with the drug dealer. Mm. The, the guy in the... I thought Sloth was the guy in the bed. bed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is the one in the bed. And that okay. was the next one, right? Oh, okay. Okay, it could be. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, so sloth is uh, one of the most that that that's like um, so this is where we see the SWAT team is completely in and it is uh, they come in and because they think um, that the guy is actually there. So John Doe's character and they discover this, um, you know, what they believe to be th thought dead body that's like just just so disturbing and horrifying and it's yeah, yeah i don't know what you're gonna say no i i was just gonna say it's one of the yeah it's almost like one of those foreshadowing events too because at the start of the movie when uh the the two of them are together and they uh, see the first victim brad pitt says something like one in five uh murders uh the victim isn't dead uh at the at the crime scene when the police arrive so and then uh this turns out to be one of those one in five situations where uh and, and it's just terrifying that whole thing it's like the first time that you see that move the movie uh, that, that that makes you jump because it's it's just unbelievable that that guy's been alive just looking at him and and just how horrifying he looks and and the effects that they used in order to do that it, it was just like fantastic and so real and and yeah uh, and then the follow-up scene when they're in the hospital and the doctor saying like his his brain is just mush you're just like because you you thought there might be some sort of hope that uh, the guy would recover and and be able to help out with the uh uh, with the investigation somehow, but uh, obviously all hope of that was lost at that point. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the character's name is uh, Victor. So a fun mm. fact is uh, David Fincher said he, that he wanted somebody who was incredibly skinny around 90 pounds to play Victor. Oh. And so the actor, uh, Michael Reed McKay auditioned, he weighed about 96 pounds and, and Fincher gave him the part, and but he jokingly told them to lose some more weight, like you know, uh, and and then much to David Fincher's surprise, he lost another six pounds uh, before oh. shooting was, and yeah, and that, that just uh, like you know he's oh, a little that's... character, he's barely in it, he doesn't have any lines, he's literally just a dead oh. person. But well, that's why it looks so real then, is because he is real. <laughs> so yeah, I always thought it was like some sort of. Uh... I, I thought it was some sort of prop or something like that, no. some sort of special effects thing no, that they had I, done. It's a real guy. Wow. Yeah. That's interesting. And actually, the thing is, makeup for the sloth victim took over 14 hours to do when they, when they filmed yeah. it. So he's just covered. He's just covered oh, in that's prosthetics funny. and makeup. And it's just, mm. it, it's so gross. And for a character, you know, who's barely even in it, that's pretty uh, incredible to, like, you know, go all that way and lose... You, be 90 90 pounds for a film where you're barely even in that's just you know shows the dedication to right. filmmaking it's it's pretty incredible hmm. but um but if we want to go to the next part where we are seeing so the three deadly sins have happened and um morgan freeman he gets he's looking through the library records yeah, it is. Uh, yeah, Mills and, and uh, Somerset are having a conversation and then something Mills says tweaks uh, Morgan Freeman's character to the idea of going to the library and doing the research, which is like, obviously, it's a, it, it leads to a, a major, major break in the case. Yeah, where they're actually able to track down John Doe. Yeah, where he lives. And that's when we, um, they discover 
how they can finally get these like and what it what it what it does is um it looks at all these records of you know people who constantly say take out like helter skelter the charles manson book and like if somebody's constantly doing that and in actually 2001 they started doing that like governments and fbi agents really began to do that more and they finally legalized it yeah um and (laughs) because you know it, it it obviously did i think it did help them out uh in real life to find these serial killers that like uh that were taking out these these books that are pretty <laughs> di- disturbing. Kind of funny. And yeah, and again, when they look for, say, when a person is like constantly taking out a book on like uh, nuclear bombs or something like that, that's when they start to track them down. And that's what they do for this, which is really, really smart. And that's a breaking point. And again, this helps uh, develop Brad Pitt's character, Morgan Freeman's characters, and bring brings them together. Yep. And um and yeah, brings their two characters. They're yeah, they're the, able to yeah. I think you know what I'm trying. To yeah, make. yeah. Like they're working together and like able to yeah. They're working as a team. Um, yeah, a little bit better now. Even though yeah, Brad Pitt's not into the whole idea, and then doing like the uh, it's kind of illegal what they're doing. You know, they're they're obtaining this information through the I guess he said the bureau, which I'm assuming is the FBI. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, getting it that way where they, they shouldn't really have access to that information. But yeah, for sure, it does help with the case. That's, uh, there's no doubt. Yeah. And so they're able to, and then um, this leads to one of my favorite scenes uh, is where they find John Doe's house and, or his apartment building or his, in his apartment. And we see uh, just his face in black. Yeah. for that entire scene which i love because you, you don't even know if that's actually him or who it is and uh you know what they're oh, like but yeah it's so true it's probably yeah it's one of my favorite scenes from the whole movie too it's like yeah him stepping off the elevator holding the two bags of groceries just looking so like yeah non-threatening you know and then um uh somerset looks up and motions to mills hey look who's coming uh, you know, it could be, uh, and, and certainly from my mind, the first time I saw it, I thought, oh, they're going to be able to question this guy, or maybe it's just like uh, one of the neighbors or something like that. But it was like, a, yeah, it was a real surprise and like obviously took them off guard too, which is like a, you know, a legitimate reaction to it is, uh, is when he just drops the groceries uh, right on the floor there and then takes the gun out and fires a shot uh, right over Somerset's head, I think, and then breaks the window in behind them. But yeah, that's... Uh, yeah, and then leads to that whole chase. But yeah, just that, that sequence is just set up perfectly where you, you feel like you're right there and you feel like you're, you, you feel like that's truly how the characters would react with just like shock and, and being stunned uh, at what's happening. Yeah, yeah. And I, yeah, I, I just love that scene, the rain with the effects and there's an effect that they use. So um in order to get that effect of the film's like brooding dark look was achieved through uh, a chemical process called bleach bypass. And Mm -hmm. the silver in the film stock was not removed. So which deepened the dark shadowy images in the film. I think, you know, obviously that it works with the film so well Mm -hmm. and it, it makes those scenes like, again with the chase scene where they have that close-up of just the like the 
the rain dripping uh off yeah. the gun on his head is just it's it's so good after they um yeah after mills and john doe have their chase scene which uh they finally go into his apartment building and that's when we see that's when yeah the audience sees this crazy like it's almost ridiculous how serial killer like it is like it's all these like passages and photos and you know he sleeps on a bed with this giant neon cross above it and it's so they they did such a good job at with the art direction for that of creating this room that is so that feels so wrong almost and uh and that's when they discover these photos and they also discover that um that he took a photo of them uh, because they go in that red room for the photos and they see the photos of the photographer. Um, and it's a photo of Mills and Somerset. Uh, yeah. They find out that the reporter was actually the John Doe character and yeah. 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 And then they, they, he's been tracking them, but like he, he knows what's going on and it's kind of a realization for them, I guess that, uh, that they're all part of, uh, well, at least for Somerset anyway, he, he realizes uh, at that point that uh, he, this is part of like he's orchestrating this and he's part of this this whole thing that's being uh, that's being done by John Doe. Yeah, all all of John Doe's books were real books written for the film, and they took about two months to complete and cost about fifteen thousand dollars to uh, to make all those uh, to make those books just filled with little notes and disturbing things and disturbing facts. Seems wasteful to me. <laughs> what the benefit of that? Why he would do that? But anyway. I know. I mean, yeah, no, it, it makes it real <laughs> again. But like, yeah, yeah. No, I know you mean. It's fine, I guess. Um, and after that, they um come up with the lust victim, and uh, I want to talk about that because it's it's probably the word you can debate it again, but it, it's. Just oh, there's no debate in my mind. Like, yeah. that's by far the worst. Like, yeah, that's it's horrifying. Like, uh, you know, like uh, the is. other guys uh, died in terrible ways, too. But this is just like you have uh, like this guy is is doomed. He'll never be the same. He's like, uh, you know, and anyone that's been a party to it. Uh, it's just you've ruined a bunch of people here. I'm fascinated with is, you know, they use instead of creating and showing it happen which would be awful i think what makes it even worse is just him talking about it and saying like what how he felt and you know the acting is just incredible because it's so believable uh yeah yeah do you you know that actor's name uh um leland orser i think yeah i think you're right yeah yeah so something about that was uh he was so as preparation for his traumatic scene in the interrogation room, he would uh, breathe in and out rapidly so that his body would be overly saturated with oxygen, giving him that ability to hyperventilate. Mm. And he also did not sleep for a few days in order to achieve his character's oh, oriented yeah. look. Yeah. So No, he, he did a great job there. Like, I mean, it, it seemed, uh, it, it, it didn't seem far off from what a, a realistic reaction would be to that type of situation being forced by, uh, 
at gunpoint. I guess they, they he had the gun in his mouth and was forced to use that apparatus on that uh, um, a prostitute. It, yeah, and at, at this point, you're able to notice the pacing of the film and the pacing of how you know how long it takes to characters to realize uh, or for um you know the next uh, murder to happen and. I think that's really good about this film is the pacing is just so perfect. Mm -hmm. it, it, yep. it takes it takes you on um, just a, a roller coaster of emotion, and and it takes you on with that. It, it's so um, you know you're invested in this film right from the get go, and you're alongside Detective Mills and Somerset, and that's what's so uh, interesting to me. And then with the again with the lust is just it's it's so like it's so wrong and disturbing and sad yeah. and just like it it's the acting for that scene for that character is just it's so good and it's so yeah. and, and at this point you know somerset and mills realize that it, this is he's going to keep going with it and he's going to he's going to finish what he started and whereas before they were unsure and they didn't they weren't no, didn't know but it, they know what's going to happen next and they know when probably and they're feeling they understand more but yeah yeah um, and the, uh, the, right after this scene like the so there's an interesting uh, like interrogation that goes on whereas mills is off with uh, interrogating the uh, the owner manager of um the brothel where this happened and then uh, Somerset's interviewing the, the the victim who was forced to uh, inflict that pain on the prostitute. But anyway, uh, it, right after that, you just see this feeling, or or you just see them both all slumped over, and they're they're completely defeated at that point. Um, yeah. After this is like a, this, yeah, it's just like they're, uh, um, yeah, it, a lot of the hope <laughs> that they had is, is uh, uh, drifting away. Yeah. Definitely. When you're using the seven deadly sins like that, it gives you the chance to explore each one of those. I mean, they explore each one of those, those themes, right? So you're taking like the greed, lust, pride, um, and uh, gluttony and all of the, the seven deadly sins. And then you get the chance from a writing perspective anyway to explore um, uh, and, you know, uh, how you can use each one of those to create the, these uh, sensational sort of horrific um murders yeah yeah and the next scene is i think this is where the third act starts is when mm -hmm. uh they return to the police station and we see john doe leave the police car and or not or the taxi taxi, taxi yeah. yeah and you're you just see him from the back and he's got that weird walk just very very slow and so so calm Mm -hmm. and it's it's yeah you know, um it's great it's it, you know what's gonna happen and you're so it's very very intense and the suspense is building and he goes uh and offers himself for arrest he yells yeah. at uh detective mills and somerset he see his face finally in the fingertips bleeding and cut off and mm -hmm. it's it's ta it's crazy and yeah and he he's such a smart uh he's, he's so smart uh john doe's character 
with this. He, he perfectly times it and he wants it to be remembered. And it, it's, yeah. And that, that's when, again, John Doe's character, he he's put them in this trap where they, he, he literally is just pulling the strings and uh, he has control over Morgan Freeman and Brad Pitt in a way. He, you know, and he's able to uh, control them. And Kevin Spacey just does such a great job at portraying that calm yet like horrific character even though you know right. yeah and so they're fine and then they're in the car when they're driving to the driving to the bodies and this is probably my favorite uh, part of the film because it and this is when we get to see the point of view from uh from john doe and he talks about it's because the these murders make sense i mean to a degree obviously it it is not right but there were definitely people back in the day and i think uh or back you know when religion was a much more prominent part of life and uh everyone was religious and so many countries like build their life off religion and uh it shows how terrible uh it can actually be and how terrible it, it can it's it's pretty disturbing in a way how what religion can actually do to a person i think yeah but, i mean yeah. obviously those are the, the that's like the crazy extreme uh version of it and i i guess you could say uh, someone could take anything of that and uh and and make it so evil but uh yeah i don't yeah yeah i know yeah what you're uh yeah and but he also he mentions how he, you know, there's nothing wrong with taking um, pleasure in your work. As he he give he gives <laughs> this um, idea to Brad Pitt line. about I, yeah, and he, he says this line to Brad Pitt. He, um, how you know Brad Pitt? He loves doing his work just as much as Brad Pitt would love to be in a room with uh, blocked up windows with him alone. And Brad Pitt, you know, he says you're hurting my feelings and something like that along the lines of that. And he said, the only reason why you wouldn't uh, do that to me is because there's consequences. And that's such a, it, it, may, yeah. it really makes you like think about, I know how each, each, everything you do has a consequence to it. And whereas mm -hmm. John Doe just doesn't believe in consequences. Whereas obviously these, um, so-called normal characters morgan freeman and brad pitt do and again with this conversation they're having together is so um you you almost understand uh john doy's point of view he talks about how they're you know this overweight disgusting person you know this like disease infested uh prostitute or a drug dealing lazy per like this disgusting lazy person and then he talks about the lawyer you don't want to say that you agree with what he's doing but you understand from a point of view just a little bit of what he's trying to say and why he does this and it, it still is so insane and yeah awful yeah. but it you really you know yeah i think you yeah understand the argument that he's making but uh like there's no way that you'd be convinced that he's justified in doing any of yeah. that yeah 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 exactly mm. um but that's just a, a scene it, it, it foreshadows and 
he's almost like a little child too because he's getting excited he's like he's not jumping up and down but he's like shuffling side to side and morgan freeman just like uh he's like you excited or he's like why are you excited he's just like we're almost there and he's he got this little uh just terrible smile Mm -hmm. on his face and this is where it gets smug smile yeah Yeah. and then the intensity of the rest of the scene uh begins and that's and this is where they leave the car yeah and then yeah so they've got the helicopter following them in the car at this point uh and um heading towards their destination wherever that is along these dusty dirt roads and the, you know like they've got the mountains in the background and and uh, it's not raining anymore it's uh, it's sunny out and you're in uh, sort of like a desert type area uh and then uh yeah you don't know it it, it just becomes ominous all of a sudden and they're they're headed towards something and you're not sure what but uh you know it's not going to be it's not going to turn out well yeah that creating an object like the box is it it invests you because anything could be in there it's like it's like the uh it's like the briefcase from Pulp Fiction. You have no idea. You <laughs> <Wow>. have like, <laughs> um, whereas, I mean, this is like building up to that. Um, it, it's building up to this final scene and you know something he's, he's, you know, he's even stated he's got this big, it's going to be amazing. You're, uh, I can't, he's like, I can't wait to see your face. It, it's quite unbelievable. That's what John Doe says. And so, you know, if he's saying something like that, you know, it's going to be um, horrifying and terrible. Yeah. Um, John Doe is just, he's such a, yeah, he, again, he, yeah. And so now they're out in the, the desert the box is there the, they come up with the box and yeah they're under the power lines yeah. There's power lines all around which is interesting too and it's uh it, it forces the helicopter to stay at a certain height in the air exactly can't, yeah can't see anything so yeah i like that whole device and then yeah the box shows up and and uh yeah and uh, yeah i guess <laughs> we, we know what morgan freeman uh he takes out his uh switchblade which is used throughout the entire film you know yeah uh, i like that too yeah and yeah he has it um he playing um using the dartboard and he uses it for other uh, cutting through um one of the uh interrogation uh scenes he cuts through one of the houses with the gluttony character when he goes back into that house and he uses it there um no, then, the, yeah, yeah, the switchblade. I really like that because, uh, yeah, it's you're right. It's used throughout the movie, and he's yeah, he throws it occasionally at the dartboard. It seems when he's killing time in his apartment and things like that. And I'm one of those firm believers that every scene should have a purpose. And like when you're seeing him, at least from my perspective, anyway, when you see him throwing that uh, switchblade at the dartboard, uh, you know, there's something in the back of your mind that's saying he's they're gonna be he's gonna be using the switchblade in the future for something. Yeah. But uh, in the end, it turns out he's just opening a box with it. But <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> but and, it's still yeah a, a useful device and and uh it builds some sort of suspense around that or or about what's to come yeah and so once they open the box it, it, the you can what i love is like the the score uh howard shore mm-hmm. uh he he conducted the um 
the score for this film and yeah, the music slowly starts getting building up and amplified and, and Morgan Freeman opens up the the box and it is just it, it's horrible and yeah the it, timing's good there and you're right it's like the briefcase in pulp fiction from that perspective yeah. where it's opened up and you're not you, you know the audience doesn't see what's in it uh but you know it's not good <laughs> yeah it, it it is not good it not at all but um i think just it's it's such a important scene for in the film and um what was i gonna say yeah and so now that it, uh, Detective Mills is isolated with John Doe and he's on the ground he, or he's on his knees and it, it, he starts, he's getting curious and Morgan Freeman's in this point uh, where he's like so worried about what's going to happen with Brad Pitt, not only John Doe and Brad Pitt. So it starts getting uh, intense for the audience in that way and for Morgan Freeman's character. And then Brad Pitt has no idea what's going on. So he's... Uh, he has a feeling of confusion at this point. Um, he runs yeah. and he, he, uh, Morgan Freeman runs to, uh, runs over to John Doe and Mills because he knows something bad is going to happen. Right. Uh, yeah. But, and the reveal for, for what's in the box is kind of neat too, because it's actually, you know, Kevin Spacey's John character, John Doe, that actually uh, does the reveal. So yeah, at no point in time do we ever see what's in the box, but uh, Which, we know what's in there. And then you can tell that he's not lying by the way that Morgan Freeman is running across that field and yeah. uh, trying to head off what is ever, whatever's going to happen next. Brad Pitt does such a good job at um, emulating that emotion in for that scene that final scene uh he he's he's cry like he starts tearing up and but he's also like he, he has that great line that super famous you know what's in the box what's in the box yeah uh which is you know oh yeah uh, yeah which is very very popular um but yeah. it's it's you know it creates that mystery and he he talks about how um his sin is envy and he and morgan freeman tells him you know if you kill him he will win mm -hmm. and, and that's what's it, it's such a great plot twist and a plot point that that whole idea of you know you have to make that t decision you know he killed your um are you going to choose vengeance or wrath to kill him or are you going to let him go to jail and but knowing that he letting him live because and as even though he killed your wife and your and your child yeah, unborn yeah. child unborn yeah. child yeah yeah but, yeah and that's it's kind of tough too because you've got like that added um added element where uh he's he he's just found out that his wife was pregnant you know like that he was gonna have a baby and yeah a tough it, way to find out <laughs> he has that um yeah he's debating obviously he's debating shooting him he doesn't do it right away because he's pointing the gun at him for quite a bit and he he's crying and he's like he's tearing up and then he hears um then he he sees a glimpse of uh tracy mm -hmm. and, and that's when right away he just shoots her like that yeah 
That's but, a, yeah. And you've got like that sort of subliminal shot that just comes in for a second. That's, uh, I believe they use the same sort of thing in the like, Exorcist remake, uh, where it was like a, the pictures of the devil that would subliminally, subliminally come in and out. But yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, it, it's kind of interesting. It's one uh, that part of the film there. Uh, it's one of the parts I have, I don't know, like not trouble with, but um, it, it's hard for me to uh, know whether or not like that that is really the reaction that he would have. Like you'd be devastated at that point. So I'm not sure if you'd be able to. It, there'd be so much emotion that would come over you. I don't know if you'd have like even. The clarity to be able to shoot someone i you know i at least from my perspective anyway if i'm putting myself in in brad pitt's shoes then uh i don't know that that would be my reaction uh obviously and, you're gonna be mad at him <laughs> yeah, yeah you're gonna be mad but you might i don't know yeah it's hard but to say that's another part of though about brad pitt's character is he's very he's quick to judgment and he it's, yeah and so it fits from that perspective too and then that's yeah that's kind of what i wrestle with when i'm seeing that part of it i'm uh, i'm not uh i'm not saying that this isn't the right ending but i don't know i don't know that it yeah it's hard for me to say whether or not it is in my he, mind it uh, is it's I have trouble making up my mind about that part of it, but that's where that's when those two <clears throat> sins are last put into place. And right. he, he, uh, John Doe mentions how you know he he's this is going to be remembered and studied, and uh, and Brad Pitt talks about how um, Brad Brad Pitt says, "No, no way, you're nothing but." Uh, movie of the week and you know yeah. that's that's nothing what you are but obviously you know he finishes his thing and brad pitt is a part of it and, and he mm -hmm. brad pitt tends to foreshadow a lot with um you know what's going to happen to him i think one it's not very um it's very very subtle i think but the scene where mm -hmm. he he um it's very quick but he he go, gets into bed with uh tracy and just hugs her and he just says i love you so, so yes much. yeah and i i know and you can tell that's too it's almost too forced it that scene is oh i wouldn't say yeah it's kind of forced uh and that's you know when you when you before you see the ending you think oh, that's kind of like i don't know i don't know why like they needed to add that in i guess just to show the love but like that i think with that I scene think it, I, for me that that part of it works just because uh like he's been on such a emotional roller coaster with everything that's gone on you're probably your emotions are right up there and so it, to me it is believable that he'd uh, want to uh, sort of embrace his wife at that point and just you know like it, it, he's been going through a hard time and it's one of those things that you still have and you know like somerset you know somerset's the glass half empty and and uh mills is always the glass half full kind of guy like the optimist and you you know, yeah, we can fix things and he is yeah definitely. and uh and all the time somerset's the one that's saying you know like this isn't uh I, this is all for naught you know we're not going to improve anything nothing's going to get better and so i think at that point uh, mills is starting to you know believe the in the glass half full kind of thing and uh and then that's when he, he embraces tracy yeah that is that is true and but that i think that is foreshadowing that just that line right. is yeah. he's saying i love you so much i agree yeah. he's just 
uh, it definitely is a foreshadow for what is to come. Mm-hmm. And, and, but yeah, that's pretty much, and he shoots John Doe. Yeah. With, but what, what does that help him with? What is that? It's not going to change his, uh, no, but it, it's in line with his character again. Like yeah. it's the rash decision. And yeah, the only flaw I would say with that scene is, is that, uh, if I'm Morgan Freeman, I'm probably standing in front of John Doe and not allowing Mills to point the gun at him. Yeah. You know, I, 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 I could see that happening because like, you know, that it's going to be, or, or taking some other course of action at that point. Maybe it's just like, there's too much going on. So it's hard to think straight, but, um, he's pretty thoughtful and, and careful. You'd think that might be how he would uh, handle that situation. Do you think that this would have been remembered like this whole, if like this was in, uh, this really happened, do you think it would have been like remembered and studied and, uh, um, yeah, I mean, if you reflect on it, it's, I mean, it would be almost impossible, but, um, yeah yeah oh for sure like there's been a lot less uh um you know uh, a lot less grandiose cases that have been studied <laughs> thoroughly yeah yeah um yeah no i understand totally it's i one of the great endings of the film it, it sums the film up because obviously this oh yeah it's not it it's one of the most uh, it, it, the film does not end very, very happily, obviously. And whereas most films, this is where the villain wins. And I, I, I think I like those movies a lot more than where the hero wins. I think yeah. they're much more, you know, like uh, I, I, I had heard. Yeah, I'd heard that this end had been rewritten with a happy ending and then that was actually the script that was supposed to end up in david fincher's lap was like a a happy ending and and he got this version the original uh, by accident (laughs) yeah i heard well i heard that uh well another another fact is brad pitt uh originally wanted the um you know new new line cinema like executives originally uh balked at the at the film's ending and but brad pitt refused to make the film if the ending was changed oh, so cool. like yeah. he was he did not want it to change at all and which is yeah which is good because it's the ending that is i think is needed if the film ended maybe happier i don't think it would have had like the ending is one of the most famous like uh yeah parts oh of yeah. yeah you'll never forget it, it. Right you'll now. never forget it and so if it, it happened if it was like a happy ending definitely wouldn't have uh been good and what right. the original ending was it was his dog that was like the head of the dog that was oh. in oh the, the rewritten ending you mean yeah 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 which is like i mean the, the dog isn't that sentimental i guess <laughs> I, I mean know. like which one like, like i know yeah there's like yeah there's like three of them or something so that it wouldn't have made sense it, it doesn't have no. You know, dog. Uh, you're murdering all these people, and then it's a dog. Like, it doesn't make well, sense it doesn't make it. Also, I don't think Brad Pitt would kill him because he killed his dog. Like, yeah. I mean, he'd obviously be super upset and like, yeah, it's yeah, awful. But you know, yeah, compared to a loved one and their 
in your unborn child right there's no there's no way yeah yeah it but yeah it doesn't fit it doesn't work um the the ending is very un unassuring you don't know what you know happens to detective mills you know what's going to happen to him really and what what's his life or career going to be like uh for the you know that it's ruined anyway (laughs) yeah it, it is definitely he's definitely his life is ruined um but uh detective mill or somerset has this great line um uh he says he quotes um Hemingway. Hemingway, yeah, and he yeah. says the the world is a fine place worth fighting for, and um, and he says I agree with the second part. Yeah, but and, yeah, the world is a fine place and worth fighting for. I at least agree with the second part, <laughs> and that sums up the entire film because it 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 um it's very similar to do uh. No country for old men in the sense of how I, I like to compare the two in the way that it, it talks about how these people are, you know, people believe that, you know, the world is a great place, but there's so much uh, terrible parts of um, the world in these terrible people. And, you know, whereas like Anton Chigurh is this person that kills uh, for, you know, you know, he's this horrible horrible serial killer or uh and he he's just a horrible person and same with john doe's character where he is this just like so it's bizarre killing spree and and i think that's where the comparison comes in between the two of how the theme is how the world is not a fine place you know it's not a good place to be and there's lots of dark dark parts of life and i think and the the city kind of uh represents that too is especially john doe's character and he john doe even talks about how it, this the city is just such a terrible place filled with rapists and murders and yeah. on the street and uh even if which is ironic as he can you know yeah. makes fun of the murderers himself that's right but you know, I think he he believes that he's much more above those those people. He's yeah. doing it for a reason, and his reason is valid. But yeah, yeah, no, I I you know, I mean, I agreed. Like uh, it was the best ending that was that was made uh, for the movie. Like it was, you know, it was shocking and horrific. And uh, I think that's in line. It keeps with the theme of the rest of the movie. It was well written and. And you know it's uh, it's very powerful way to to end the film. And yeah, it, you'll never see a movie quite like Seven, like yeah, for a yeah. long time. It's it's so original and creative, and David it really brought David Fincher into that, um, into the career he has today. No, obviously. it's got yeah, it's got that dark dystopian feel to it. I love the um, like the investigative um, element of it as well, and I think they did a really good job with that. Like you know, sort of uncovering the clues, uh, you know, and making their way up to to finding John Doe. I like I, I like that element of the movie it, as well. You are then, yeah no yeah and then that and uh, of course the acting and the, it, just everything you know it's a near perfect movie from my perspective. It, it is it's it, it takes you on you are totally invested into this yeah. film you're totally immersed into this new world where they are in and 
it, there's it's such a you know people tend to like it's it's controversial for you know it's overly disturbing and but i think the thing is it just there's so much it makes up with the great acting and directing and the the, sc- the screenplay is so well it's so the script is so well written it's not and it's not overly uh disturbing. no it's not i don't think i don't think it's gratuitous like uh in the sense like you know you're you're uh you're seeing things that you don't need to see right like you're not well again yeah, yeah you, you don't see like uh the only like really terrible thing you see is like the overweight person and the yeah. uh in the the you know it's not crazy like you've seen it like in movies a dead body before it's not right. terrible whereas for um you, you never see like the girl that got or that got uh rape yeah. to death and that's like right. and that's good because you're not supposed to but like it, 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 david fincher does such a great job at um the, the it, acting really tells that part of the story exactly for, for those exactly yeah. and you don't you, it's you don't see gwent paltrow's or tracy's head no. in the box either which is right and uh, it, it wouldn't you have don't made need it to. any right no. you don't need to it wouldn't have made it any more shocking you're right yeah and, and it's and it's not even like you don't need to for even the part of like it being too disturbing to see it. it's like that whole idea that the mm-hmm. actors are creating um the emotion the actor yeah the actors in the music and the the pacing and the the shots make up and are able to create that emotion without having to actually see it you know it's it's uh it's showing not telling you know yeah uh, exactly and yeah. that that's what film films i think need to do more as you know films are so all, all they do are now at days i you know you can notice is just they're all very very unoriginal and they're just remakes of other movies and stuff like it's nothing it's nothing new it's just over yeah. over the top but and that's what's so good about seven it's it's not over the top it's it's very very well constructed film and yeah the pace is good at no point it's not like a you know a, a lord of the rings or something like that where you're like oh my god how long is this gonna take yeah <laughs> and it, it's and it's very very yeah and it's got that interesting story to it too and they you know you're able to adapt to this such an incredible story line with the seven deadly sins it's very very easy to understand the film i think it's not it's not overly uh overly confusing at all and i don't think no i don't think at all actually but um i think that uh, do you have anything else to say or no i got it i think that sums it up all right (laughs) thanks everyone i will uh See you guys next week for uh, There Will Be Movie Reviews. Thanks a lot, Dad. Uh, yeah, for... thanks for letting me be a part of this. No fun. problem. We'll definitely uh, get to do this again soon. Sounds All right. good. Uh, see you guys. Uh, have a good rest of your day. All right. Bye.